99th episode is happening again, and you're already listening to it, so I hope you like it. Oh yeah. Okay, alright, I'm getting fired up. I'm coming to life. Alright, heartburn Yeah, yeah, heartburn. Alright, so I started playing a new video game. And video games, I've heard of those. Yeah, I know, and it's had maybe one of the best hooks I've ever experienced in a game. Which was always fun. Alright, so what is this? Okay, so devote listeners will know that I used to play the long dark all the time. And after playing this game for a lot of the pandemic, one single long continuous game of the survival game, my character died unexpectedly. And I was left at a loss because everything I'd built up in this long survival game was gone. And I didn't have the heart to start over again and try to do it all over again. So I picked up a game that I bought a while ago, knowing that it would probably be a really short game to play, which sounded about right to me. Have you ever played Life is Strange? No, but I actually think I might have that from one of the free PS Plus games. So I'm pretty sure I could play that. Okay. It is like a point-and-click episodic adventure. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is really interesting. If you played any of the Telltale games, it's kind of like that. Yeah, I tried a tiny bit of the Telltale games, but I, um, I never had uh, one of the one like none of them never excited me enough. Like I tried the Batman one a little bit because I got it for free, but it's like Batman is just kind of like yeah, you know, Batman's fine. If I'm gonna play Batman, I'd rather pay, play like you know the Arkham games or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna spoil the first little bit of the first episode of this game as okay. a bit of a teaser for for why it hooked me and it starts out you play this young lady who is in the middle of a storm and you see there's thunder and lightning you're trying to get to safety you see there's a lighthouse up ahead so you start slowly trudging through the wind and the rain towards this lighthouse and there's stuff flying through the air and things are just mayhem and madness. And you look out over the the water that the lighthouse is next to. And there's this gigantic tornado about to destroy a town. At that point, then the character wakes up and is just in class. And it, it then changes to just... You're this character, the same character, in, like, high school class. And your teacher's just asking questions, and you have to interact with students. And it's a point-and-click adventure. Like, you look at people, and you can talk to them, or you can just press a button to look at them, and it will share your character's inner thoughts about that character. Like, oh, Justin, he's such a jock. I've never gotten along with him. Or... This person seems nice. I should talk to them more. It's it's kind of silly and goofy mm. uh, like that. And it just kind of carries on for a little bit and turns into this really just kind of teenage pseudo-drama set in high school. And then 
class ends and you talk to the teacher or whatever, and then you end up going to the bathroom because that's what the game makes you do. But while you're in the bathroom, you some people like break into the bathroom. Uh, uh, another student, a male student, comes into the bathroom and he kind of looks around to make sure there's nobody there and he doesn't see you because your character is hidden by this point. And then another character comes into the bathroom. It's a, a, a girl and they get into a big fight. And then the the boy pulls out a gun on on this and then the girl kind of fights back and then he accidentally shoots her and kills her right there in the bathroom with you watching wow (laughs) that's when boom you wake up back in class again and then what you figure out then is you've actually woken up back in class when you originally woke up after seeing that twister because students are now they're saying the same thing that they did before then the game kind of works through testing out some stuff to see if history actually is repeating itself and what you find out slowly is that you actually have traveled back in time and then you realize well if i can travel back in time i can stop this girl from getting shot in the bathroom and that's what then the next portion of the game is about, is making sure you stop this girl from getting killed in, like, the next five minutes. So it's figuring out, like, how can I get out of class early to get there and stuff. And then what you further find out is that your player character has the ability to move backwards in time. Like, replay time and back it up and redo things. So... If you have a conversation with your teacher saying, I I really need to go to the bathroom, it could play out with the teacher saying, just wait till after class. You like, I don't care, basically. But then you can rewind time and then change the conversation. And sometimes you can even use things that you learned in your previous conversation in the new conversation to help influence the conversation for the better. And that was uh, a really interesting hook for me for the game, especially just this idea of, okay, like things quickly escalated from being a high school student to somebody's getting shot in the bathroom and then having to go about and trying to fix this and change the situation. That was, uh, it really grabbed me really, really quickly. Nice. So this is just like a video game adaptation in the movie Groundhog's Day, just with school violence involved yeah yeah yes teenage school violence in groundhog's day exactly is bill murray in it though unfortunately not (laughs) bill murray is not in it at least not yet so that's too bad so far it's it's uh in five episodes and each of the episodes is very narratively driven I'm pretty sure. So I either see this game on sale all the time, or like I said, I, I got it from PS Plus because you get like you know the two free games a month thing. And I keep on telling myself I'm not going to sign up for PS Plus again because I never end up playing the games, and it's rare that I get anybody to play online with me. But I signed up for it again because they had it on sale for like thirty bucks. I was like, man, that's cheap. It's only like two fifty a month. So okay, I can spend two fifty a month to have you know access to all these games because. Like if you if you let your membership end, you lose access to all the games you've ever had. But if you 
start it up again, you regain access to everything. So it's not like you lose everything you had before as long as you're paying for the service. So anyways, like I, I think I can play this game. But it just goes to, like, I've compiled all these games over, you know, a few years off and on of having PS Plus, and I haven't played most of them because there's always some other game that I want to play, which is why I keep on saying, no, no, I don't need PS Plus. And then I hear something like this, I'm like, oh, man, like, I should go back and revisit some of these games that I just brushed off. This one sounds pretty interesting. I'm going to have to check this out. Yeah, it's a bit of an emo game because it's kind of just about these like emo high school kids and so you need to be prepared for a lot of emo high school stuff Uh, i i am reading jinji ito so i feel like that's like half of what he writes about you know it is somewhat junji ito-esque if you remove the really bizarre floating balloon heads of people or people turning into wood and being eaten by insects or, you know, caterpillar people in the basement or whatever crazy, crazy Junji Ito horror twist there is to it. But in terms of kind of like this odd moodiness, that's a, a lot of what the game captures. Because what what you find out eventually is a lot of the game is focused around there's a um, a girl who's been missing from your school and you redevelop a friendship with an old friend from town and you start trying to figure out what happened to this girl that went missing. That's kind of partly the overall story hook of this. And a lot of the game is kind of like <laughs> just it's it's a little bit of like trifles of stuff like it's easy to get hung up on the early stuff which is oh this person asked me to bring the usb stick that i borrowed from them back okay well i better go to my dorm room and look around and now i'm looking around my dorm room and seeing all the stuff and that's how i learn about my character oh, but then it turned out somebody else borrowed my USB stick, so I have to go down the hall of my dorm and find this other person and talk to them and get the USB stick. And, oh, I've learned about them along the way. Then I get my USB stick, and I bring it back to this person, and that's how I learn about them along the way. So, you know, a a lot of kind of goofy stuff like that. But when it really digs into a lot of the actual storytelling of the game, it gets pretty darn good. And I think the the storytelling is pretty interesting and pretty well done. It's just a, a mix of kind of trifle-like point-and-click adventure stuff, but then mixed in with some really good storytelling. Usually earlier on in the episodes, it's a lot of very basic stuff, and I think it's meant to reorient people to the game and how it works and then it once all that orientation has begun then it really starts to dig in and it actually kind of gets pretty darn dark like to the point where I was playing it and my wife was like I don't want you to play this game right now like play something else because <laughs> this is actually really like dark and kind of twisted <laughs> so it it definitely goes to some really really heavy deep places in the game that's funny that makes me think of when i was watching uh breaking bad and my wife 
didn't even want me to watch it with her in the other room. Like, she didn't even want to hear it. Like, that show <laughs> was just, like, so oppressively depressing, um, which I, I definitely understand that. Yeah, that's not exactly a feel-good show. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean, when you could just hear a show in the background, not even hearing specifically what's going on, and it just makes you feel down. That says a lot about it, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I watched all of that show. There's a couple other shows that I kind of put in a similar category where it's like they were good shows, but I don't want to watch shows like that again because I don't want to dwell in like that level of, of negativity, you know? Yeah. That show, um, like that show, Game of Thrones and Sons of Anarchy are the three. Like they were good shows and like I'll never watch them again. And like I, pretty much like try to avoid shows of that nature now i just don't need to get caught up in that i think walking dead is kind of in that same vein walking dead is a lot about how can we torture these people and trick them into thinking that something might go good when actually everything's just going to go terribly yeah yeah Yeah, i watched the, the first season of walking dead and that was it I kind of pushed myself to get through that. It was, I mean, it was back when the show was a lot newer. So like that was available on Netflix and season two wasn't even available. Mm. I finished season one. I didn't have anything to watch for a while with it. Season two came out. I tried to start watching. It's like, no, I don't want to just like having that break of, you know, I pushed myself, but then I stopped for a while. I didn't want to go back to it. Yeah. Um, it was a little interesting watching as much as I did though. Cause I also read a little bit of the comics that uh, a friend had let me borrow in the past. And, like, I wasn't particularly thrilled by either thing, but I did think that there were things the show did to tell the story that they did better than was done in the comics. So it was interesting to get, to get at least enough of a taste to, you know, have some kind of opinions on, on the matter, but never went back to it. Yeah, I read, like, the first 50 issues of the comic, and I think I had a similar response to the comic as I had to the TV show, which is, this is really well done, a really good story, but it's kind of miserable because it's always about bad things happening to people in the end. And it was just a a little more like by 50 issues, I kind of got to the point where I was like, okay, I I get it. This is fine. Like I don't need to experience more of this. I recognize that it's good, but it's just not something I really want to uh, put in my eyeballs (laughs) very much. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, What is interesting about this game, though, is I have no idea if it's going to have a happy ending or not. The I've played the first four out of five episodes, and the end of the fourth episode makes it seem like, oh, man, everything's going very, very badly. But I have no idea, like, is this going to turn out good or bad? I really have no idea. And what's interesting about it is actually the game affects itself. Like the choices you make will affect things in the future. So there's pretty big consequences to your action within the within the story itself. Where things you do can change things for the better or for the worse in the future. And sometimes even the past, which is kind of unique and interesting. So... It's it's really strange how little things could have little effects or big effects on the story, and you never quite know what that's going to be as it's happening. Yeah. 
So yeah, it's it's a it's a really interesting game, and I've I've been really enjoying it despite how gnarly it is and how dark it gets at times. Yeah, I I'll have to try it out um, if I have it. I, I've been wanting to start a different game because I've just kind of been playing Madden lately. Just mm-hmm. you know, fun game, not real any mental work involved. I kind of wanted to start playing a different game because the the content in Madden playing Madden Ultimate Team like. I, I'm staying up to date on it, so it's like sometimes there isn't really anything to play that I want to, but I also don't want to get involved in some big, deep game, so I was starting to think about playing a game, and of course, going back to the same games I keep on trying to play that I purchased in the past on digital sales or something like that, so uh, yeah, it's nice to have something else that I can focus that energy on that I haven't thought about that I've just had lying around like that. What's nice about this game is that it's episodic and each episode is maybe takes two or three hours to play okay so it's it's very set length of time for the game so it's a much easier commitment like there's not a lot it's not going to be a very long game and there's not too much time commitment involved and it's really easy to do in chunks as well like play for an hour or two stop play for an hour or two, put it away for a while, etc. Yeah, that's good. That's what I need right now. Yeah, so that's that was kind of what I needed also. So that was a lot of why this is really hitting the right spot. It's so very different from The Long Dark, which is just playing the same game over and over and over without <laughs> anything really changing. This is so much the opposite of that, which is hugely episodic, everything changing all the time and with a very clear defined ending. So... Yeah, it feels good to, to feel like you're making progress on something like that. Yeah. In in that note, I have been reading a bunch of Junji Ito uh, because I decided... So I had a few Junji Ito books that um, like I found a couple on a sale, and I had a couple just lying around, whatever. And I found the opportunity to offer them to somebody else for you know a good price for them and to get them off my shelf because I decided that I like Junji Ito, but he's more of a read, not a collect for me and my shelves are getting overloaded right now and it's funny because you must have read shiver at some point yeah i read shiver because yeah all the stories like I, i'm reading shiver right now and i've been enjoying it more we talked about this a little bit when we talked about jinji ito earlier on like the difference between his long stories and his short stories so prior to this the first one i read was uzumaki which is a long story and still i think my favorite story overall then i read tomie which was fine but it felt more like a bunch of short stories put together which is basically what it was yeah that one's very much like a collection of short stories that all follow the same character and theme yeah so like it starts to get a little tedious to me because it's it's not a growing story it's just the repetition and the repetition you know new story but it's the same thing you know something different happens in the story obviously but like it, it did definitely feel stale at points. Sure. Um, and then also seeing it as his first work, like you know, you understand that, like he's developing as he's doing it too. But then I read uh, Gio. Have you read Gio? No, I haven't read Gio yet. So Gio is another long form story, and I I think it would have been better as a short story, honestly. Like even if it was kind of a longer short story, because it was it was good, and there were parts like aspects of it that I really liked. 
but it just I don't think it needed to be as long as it was. So like that one was kind of like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much I really like Jinji Ito's. I'm reading it's like it's it's good, but not great. And then I started reading Shiver, and like Shiver is definitely like a lot of short stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of really good ones too. Um, it was just funny because as you were rambling through like loose examples of Jinji Ito, I was like, "Yep, read that one. Read that one. That's the one that I'm on." <laughs> uh, but something like you talked about the the floating heads, like that was such a good weird story. Oh yeah, that one was. It one really stands out to me. That's one that I have a lot of vivid memories of that I remember really well. What happened and have a lot of. Uh, it just it really sticks with me much yeah. more than a lot of his other stories do yeah it's funny like you read his stories and they're horror stories where it's like you know real life and then like things go crazy so you kind of put yourself kind of in them like what would it be like if suddenly my life stuff started happening like that and i was thinking about that as you're going through all those examples as we were relating it to a game that's based on just real life mm-hmm with a twist and i was like man it'd be crazy if you're just like look out the window one day and oh what's that thing floating in the sky oh it's my head coming to kill me (laughs) yeah and you read these stories and you're like uh you know you get creeped out by stuff like this which i usually don't like we talked a while back about like reading jinji ito in the dark and how that wasn't a good idea i think it was on twitter like you and and another uh you know twitter acquaintance yes and I was like, that, it wouldn't bother me. Like, it doesn't, like, you know, that kind of stuff doesn't bother me at all. Then, then I was just thinking about that, like, oh, that, that could get in your head. And then you, like, start, oh, you know, is that is that a giant caterpillar coming crawling in my room right now? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, so I, I've been enjoying this, but I do need to make the shelf space. I'm also, like, trying to finish these books. After I read this one, I have uh, Venus in the Blind Spot. I always forget the title because it's so, so long. Yep. Yeah, so um, that's one that I got based off of your recommendation. Uh, but so it's been kind of nice to like have something to focus on and that just that popped into my head not only because I'm reading and the book is sitting right here by me but you talking about the feeling of accomplishment like you know working through finishing something feels good sometimes and I think for me right now and you you probably are feeling this way too with how you were talking about it um, with how busy life has been school work it's like work is never ending you know it's you're working towards making stuff change but it's the same cycle all the time. Like, you know, the, you don't ever finish that thing, you know? It's like a level in a video game that just keeps going and going and going. And when it seems like you should be about to get to the boss, you never quite do. And it just keeps going and going and going. Yeah, like grinding to level, level yourself up in an RPG or something like that. <laughs> you know, you just yeah. you keep on accomplishing something, but it's never except that every time you level up, the game gets harder. So it exactly, always feels yeah. this just as bad, miserable, and bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, so like it feels good to kind of move on and finish stuff. And I've been like, I, I I know as a collector, you can relate to this. I'm sure a lot of people listening can. When you get overwhelmed with the stuff you have to do, where you don't have the time to enjoy the things you want to enjoy. It's really easy to fall into the cycle of purchasing things to enjoy because you get that, you know, rush of, ooh, I bought something that I like, but then you don't get to stop and read it. So to keep on getting that pleasure, you have to keep on buying things. Mm-hmm. Retail therapy. Yeah. And when that combines with getting exposed to new things that are interesting to you, that can be a slippery slope. <laughs> well, Paul, I have the perfect solution to this. Yeah. Just keep buying stuff. 
Well, when you buy comic book back issues for your collection, there's no expectation that you actually read them. Mm-hmm. You just put them into the long box. For instance, I'm when I collect X-Men books, I can buy a new X-Men book. I'm not going to read it because I've already read it. I've already read the story. I'm just acquiring it for my collection. So it's that perfect, if it's that perfect little spot of buying something and being satisfying with buying and getting something, but without the necessity to actually consume it. Because the consumption is actually just the buying of it. Like that's the point. The buying and the having of it is the point, not necessarily the reading of it. So collecting comics is perfect for this sort of thing. It's too bad I don't do that anymore. It is such a shame because <laughs> it is, uh, the, it's like the perfect hobby for that sort of thing, for people that like acquiring things and purchasing things and getting new things, but not having the time necessarily to <laughs> read those things. Ah, it's, it's just beautiful like that. Yeah. It's, it's funny being away from that. Like I still get that. And like I've I've dabbled in card collecting a little bit over the last like year and a half maybe. Uh and that could be nice sometimes. But even with that I've I've pushed myself to slow down and not make it about I gotta keep on acquiring stuff because you just get to where you don't have the chance to enjoy it. You know, it's like I there are there are exceptions, like Kobe Bryant, for example. I could buy any Kobe Bryant card and add it to my collection and, and be happy to have added that to my collection. And I can go through and look at them and even just like the basic cards have more meaning to me for him. But getting like every Laker player, like I have a bunch that I've gotten from buying from people on Twitter. And a lot of times like people will say like, here's, you know, this lot of Lakers players and like I might really want one or two cards, but then you end up getting a bunch of others and like it's a really good deal because they're basically trying to get rid of those ones. But then you end up with, you know, 20 Kyle Kuzma cards and then Kuzma gets traded and you're like, well, I'd like to have like one or two Kuzma cards because I did enjoy watching him on the team. But like, I don't need this many because he wasn't that important, you know. <laughs> uh, so anyways, I've kind of backed off on that, too, but. It is really weird, like, not buying comics to collect anymore. It takes that whole part away, but I still understand, like, you know, people post on Twitter about the excitement of, like, digging through dollar bins and finding stuff for your collection. Like, that was, like, I loved that. That was great. I miss that a lot because I used to do that at comic conventions. Yeah. That was my, really, the primary spot that I bought back issues was at conventions, and I would just save up all my back issue buying for that. And I really enjoy just digging through boxes sometimes and seeing what's in there and hoping I find some gem in there that I need. And yeah, that's, that's been something I've missed for a while. Yeah. And I, I've been able to do that because there's a a store that's, oh, it's like maybe 30 minutes away from me. uh, That I would go to sometimes. It was actually the last store that I subscribed to anything from. And then I started doing online to get the bad idea books they have really good back issues there like uh and and good prices on good books like they're a big part of the reason why i was able to build up the whole collection of x-men is i was able to get a lot of good books from them for good prices but then they always have some dollar bins out too and digging through the dollar bins is a lot of fun because like a lot of it would be garbage 
but there would be some good stuff in there. And the owners, like, they really, this store started from a couple of guys that were really making their money selling high-end books online. So the, the storefront was kind of a way for them to move the stuff that wasn't worth them messing with online, basically. Mm-hmm. And they just, they wanted it, you know, it's like they wanted to have a comic shop. So they, they ended up buying out one of the comic shops that I used to go to and hiring the, the owner as their manager. And so it was better for him because he didn't have the, the burden on his head of, you know, the business being all his, like, he just gets a paycheck now. So I happen to worry about the, the income outcome, you know, whatever. But yeah, so like they intentionally will leave some good stuff in those dollar bins because they know that when people stumble across a good find, it's exciting. And that, like, you know, not only does it create a positive experience for them, but it encourages them to keep doing it too. Um, I, I found some good books in there. Like I found books in there that, and like I'll still, if, if I happen to go in there, if I just feel like it, which isn't super often because it is, is far away. So I have to be there for some reason. I'll dig through the dollar bins because I know enough about what friends of mine like that if I come across the right dollar books, I could buy them and then sell them to a friend for a profit for me, but cheap for them. Yeah. If you ever find like a Hulk 181 in there. Yeah, exactly. Remember, remember me because I've, I'm, I'm the person to buy it off you. I'll give you like five times what you paid for it. Awesome. Yeah. Five, five bucks for a dollar book. That's, that sounds good. It's a huge uh, profit. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. An example, though, of a book that I thought was pretty cool to find is I found This Man, This Monster in the dollar bin. It was one of the, like, remainder comics like they used to do, you know, back in the day where stores would cut out the title of the comic and send that back in as proof of having not sold it. Oh, yeah. So it's missing. It has two-thirds of the cover, but it's missing that top third of it that was, like, the title of the book. Um, but it was a dollar for, you know, this comic that, like, I've always heard about, I've never read, and it was cool to have, like, the actual comic in my hand instead of just reading it digitally or something like that. It's not often I find stuff like that, and honestly, a lot of times I probably wouldn't recognize uh, a book like that, but um, it was a cool one to get. That's totally been... worth a dollar just to read that in its original form on the newsprint and yeah. all that. Man, that I would love that. That's awesome. Okay. I'll sell it to you for five bucks. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> five times profit, baby. But yeah, no, it's like, it, it's fun to do that. Um, yeah, it's so like my purchases have been more, and I talked about this last time talking about the series Vagabond, but I've been, another friend recommended a manga podcast called Manga Splaining that I, like, I've never listened to any manga podcasts, and, um, yeah, he said you should check this one out, so I did. And it's interesting because what it is is it's a group of people that are getting somebody who never read manga to read manga and seeing how they respond to it, basically. But that person who's never read manga happens to be Chip Zdarsky. Hmm, okay. And I, I did not know this going in. Like, you know who Chip Zdarsky is, yeah. right? Okay, yeah. I, I figured you did, but then you're like, hmm. So I was like, okay, I'll check. No, it's more, hmm, and how that sounds interesting. Yeah, it's it's kind of cool because I guess the the other three people like they all work in manga in some way, shape, or form as like an editor or you know this or that or whatever. It's cool because they kind of they focus on a different book each time. So there's that element of like, ooh, are they going to talk about something that I know about? But 
long story short, I keep on hearing about this different stuff that sounds interesting. And I had sent you a picture of one called Mermaid Saga. It's like a two-volume deal. Yeah, and you said that it's actually not what it sounds like, because Mermaid Saga sounds like a manga made for eight-year-old girls. Yeah, and you look at the the cover, and the cover is just like this pretty picture, and it has that, you know, the, the big manga eyes and stuff like that. So it definitely does look like something that's more aimed at kids. Yeah. Um, but it's it's not. <laughs> it's uh, When they talk about it on the podcast, they say that it's like it's described as a horror manga, but it doesn't really exactly feel like horror. Like, it definitely doesn't feel like Jinji Ito. But there's also some pretty horrific stuff. Like, the first story, this village of old ladies, they need a, a sag... You can read the story if you want to know, but like long story short, they, somebody needs to sacrifice their life for whatever their purpose is. So they say, well, you've lived the longest. And they take this lady who they just said lives the longest, but does not look old. And they take her in like a cave and murder her and then feed a piece of her to somebody else. Yeah, that's weird. That I don't quite see the mermaid connection here. Uh, well, there. Does she become a mermaid? Uh, yeah. So she is a mermaid. I think. Ah, okay. And if you eat mermaid flesh, apparently, so like I've only read a little bit of this, but if you eat mermaid flesh, you either die, you either get mutated into a monster, or you become immortal. That's one heck of a dice roll. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm just a little ways in, but I'm really enjoying it. I actually would be focusing on reading that right now, uh, but I I want to finish up these Jinji Ito books. So... I've kind of, I read a little bit here and there, uh, and then I'm focusing on the other books. But yeah, so like I got the two volumes of that, and the creator, um, which I think I'm going to remember her name right, I think it's Rumiko Takahashi, listening to the podcast, I'm putting these pieces together where she's a, a big deal. Like, she's she's created a lot of stuff. She's, um, you know, like one of the great creators and all these different titles that kind of vaguely caught my attention from either from people talking about them or just seeing them in the bookstore repeatedly. A lot of them are by her. So now I've got Mermaid Saga. Uh, I used some store credit and I ordered a couple, um, uh, a couple volumes of another one of her books, uh, that I'm, I'm totally going to blank on the name of. Urusite. I can't remember the last word. Um, then there's another one that she did called, uh, Mason Koku. That is like people living in a house where you rent a room. And I, I, that one caught my eye because of a, another comic creator just saying like, Hey, you should check this out on Twitter, just like randomly, you know, to the ether kind of a thing. And, and there's another one I heard about that she's done. So like, there's all these different things. I'm like, Oh, I want to try these. So that's kind of what I'm talking about. I'm like, okay, I buy this. I buy that. I don't have the time to read all these books right now, but I'm like, I found this another little niche of this one creator that I just want to like dig into. Hmm. Oh, that's cool. That's always fun. It's it's like the next Junji Ito. <laughs> yeah. It's it, um. Oh man, I'm not having a good name day. You know, I'm not good with names anyways. But sometimes I have days where I cannot remember the the name that I'm just totally used to. The guy who writes 20th Century Boys and like those other books I've talked about a lot. I have all of 20th Century Boys, and then I have all but one volume of two of his other long running series. Um, so it's like, I've stocked up on him a lot and, um, I like, I really enjoy him. So like, he's solid. Jinji Ito, like I started getting some stuff and like I said, after reading more, it's kind of like, I, I enjoy reading this and I'll continue to read Jinji Ito, but I don't need to own the books Hmm. because it just like, I don't have that same feeling. You know, with Jinji Ito, I feel like I made a, a really nice call of only 
actually getting physically the short story collections. Yeah. Because I think the long stuff that I've read, like, like Tomie, I don't really have any need to go back to that. And I imagine that uh, the Uzumaki, is that what it is? The spiral yeah. one? Uzumaki. Uh-huh is going to be similar. Well, I'll probably read it, but never really want to go back to it. But the nice thing about the short stories is like, I could see myself going back to that short story about the head balloons that strangle people. Yeah. Uzumaki, I feel like might be, uh, the exception that proves the rule. And granted it was the first book of his that I read and it's been a while since I've read it and I haven't reread it yet. Uh, but that's the one that I like, I might look at that book before I move on from it. One of the things that I think makes Uzumaki a little more, uh, I don't know, sustainable, like, you know, reusable, uh, is it is one long story, but it's morphing as it goes. So it's not like it's just like Tomie, where it's just, okay, here's another Tomie story. Something happens at the end, there's not really much difference. In Tomie, there's a little bit of change that go, that happens as the story goes. But it's not drastic, and it's not really that impactful on the stories being told. Whereas with Uzumaki, as things change, the whole story changes. So you can read a chapter and just enjoy that chapter as it is. But like that chapter is the start and finish. the The story is going to be at a very different place, and the next chapter is going to be going from that point on. And there's no reset. There's no just like okay, here it is in a different place now, and it gets weird gets real weird so uzumaki i think is different but i also kind of think that you know it's the at least from what i've read so far it's definitely the special circumstance that stands out hmm. okay so yeah the other thing that i bought that's going to come on monday is uh, i bought a box set of all the akira books oh nice okay yeah we'll yeah. have to talk about akira when you get to that yeah i have i am assuming you've watched the the, the anime yes I I've, I actually have never watched the anime. Um, I have been at a house where we watched it. I don't remember a darn thing, and I'm pretty sure I fell asleep during it because that was when I was uh, in in high school and had insomnia. So like I sometimes was exhausted. Both of them are very worthwhile, both the manga and the anime. The anime is kind of just a super abbreviated version of the manga. And from what I've heard, it's because the manga is six volumes. So I ordered the whole set. Yeah. Um, and I've heard the anime is like condensing like the first two volumes, something like that. I don't remember. It's been so long since I've read the manga that I don't quite remember. Yeah. I just remember the manga just going on and on and on so much further and bigger than the anime ever did. The anime is just is really cool, though, in its visually really interesting the music is really cool and strange and weird which is a nice treat and yeah it's just i i think the it's one of those rare things where the anime adaption is as influential as the manga is maybe even more so in a lot of ways yeah i mean it happens sometimes because a two-ish hour movie is more accessible than reading a book you know, book takes a lot more time investment. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get that. That one was a bit of, so I have the first volume that I bought from somebody for five bucks. It's like a kind of, you know, used beat up paperback copy, which is fine. Um, and I haven't even read it yet. 
but listening to them talk about it on the podcast I mentioned, and then obviously knowing the impact that it's had, like I've been kind of keeping my eyes out to get future volumes and kind of build it up a little bit. Um, like luckily it's all pretty accessible because that's part of the reason with like kind of stockpiling some manga titles is once they're out of print, they're very hard to get because you know, they're like, you know, printed a ton in Japan, but like the stuff that gets translated is only what sells well here. And then if it doesn't sell well enough, they're not going to keep printing it. Yeah. So there's kind of that, uh, that fear of missing out that is like actual fear of missing out because if you don't get it, you might miss out on it. You know, not just the usual FOMO of being afraid of missing out on stuff that's like always accessible. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I was kind of poking around just looking at stuff and I found the hardcover box set of all six volumes for a really good price. I was like, oh, no, I shouldn't do that. And then I did it. So, but then coming. you did it. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you did, Paul. <laughs> yeah, this is part of the reason too why I'm questioning. Like, do I want to keep on getting the bad idea books because they're expensive? That adds up. And if I, you know, if I look back at like how much I spent on, you know, Eniac's not the best example for that because Eniac is reasonably priced. Even if you like add in shipping and stuff like that, it makes a little bit more. But some of those books are like six bucks, eight bucks. Yeah. But there, it's almost over, Paul. Yeah, it's 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 almost all over. So, yeah, but I'm still questioning if it's worth it because it's, you know is it's almost over. So I'm going to spend another fifty bucks on books that I really don't know if they're worth that to me. Like, do I pull the plug? I'm probably not going to because like the end is you know Joshua Dysart that book. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Like, has he ever written? wrote anything that isn't really great i don't think so um yeah yeah i've really liked like i've read his uh unknown soldier run that was really good mm-hmm. obviously the valiant stuff i've read all of of his valiant work and i think that it was some of the best work at valiant oh yeah and uh did you ever read uh living level three no i haven't i i assume it's it's still just free on comiXology but it was about um i think it was about iraq and he actually like went there and so it's like real life stuff. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I I, I do remember that. Yeah, uh, I I remember it existing, but I haven't re- ever read it. I finally read it at some point. It's been a while now, but it also sat there for a while before I read it, and it was it was very good too. So yeah, so yeah. If, if it wasn't him at the end, if it was just uh, you know some random you know creator that I didn't care as much about, it'd probably be different. But with it being him. Yeah, plus, like, you got a lot of Matt Kent mixed in there. Can't go wrong with Matt Kent. Yeah. The worst Matt Kent is still just a solid comic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. So I've been picking up my X-Men reading again and starting to dig into that a little bit. And I left off after Age of Apocalypse. That was enough of a punctuation point that I felt like, okay, I finished Age of Apocalypse. All the books went on pause for this. It's a really good just stopping point to stop yeah. reading all this stuff for a while. But I've decided, all right, it's time to to pick it up again. Because Age of Apocalypse is like halfway through the 90s. So I'm at the halfway point <laughs> of getting <laughs> through all that stuff. And I am really anxious to see... Anxious is the wrong word. I'm very... I'm looking forward to seeing the books slowly evolve and change because I remember them being pretty darn good right around the year 2000. And then they 
really got kickstarted when Grant Morrison started his run on New X-Men. But even before that, leading up to it, like the year or two before that, I I remember them being a bit on the upswing. And uh-huh. so I am really looking forward to reading all that stuff and, and seeing that happen. It's kind of just so far m- more of the same. It's uh, a lot of just X-Men being X-Men. And it's very much in this mid-90s drama without story kind of <laughs> is, is, is I think a lot of how I would explain it but it's all leading up to Onslaught which is a very I think infamous X-Men crossover and so that's kind of where I am in my reading is at the point where it's slowly building up to the Onslaught crossover which I I have heard is not the best crossover but I, it's very notorious, so I'm I'm really curious to read it just for its notoriety. I think. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I you know obviously I sold my collection, so I, I sold having the physical means right there to uh, to read the X Men, um, and it, it's funny because doing that kind of took away my drive to read the X Men, but I still like it's kind of like on the back burner because you know stuff is so much more accessible nowadays too. Like get uh, Marvel Unlimited. And you got everything, but I, you know, I don't want to get Marvel Unlimited now because there's so much other stuff that I have to read: physical books, uh, comicsology. Like one of my goals is to whittle my comicsology down. It's inflated because they had some like crazy giveaways, like all the Scooby Doo books, all the Black Panther books. So like my unread comicsology list is over 900 items. But I think with reading X-Men, like, I know when I get back into it, it's one of those things that when you put in the work and get the momentum, you start to get the the motivation. So I'm probably going to leave that on the back burner uh, probably for a while. Because, like, while I'm in school, it's it's hard to hard to spend time reading something because you want to accomplish it. And it's a lot easier to read something because you just are, you know, you're enticed to read it. Yeah, I understand that. It's kind of weird to like talk in this long in terms of something like reading comics, but I probably won't try to read the X-Men for the next like four years while I'm going through school. Mm-hmm. Once I'm done with that, though, like during that time, I'll whittle away this other stuff that um, you know is more accessible to me right now. But at some point, I'm going to do that. I'm going to get Mar- uh, Marvel Unlimited and just pick up where I left off, which was I think like right after the introduction of Jubilee. So like I was actually kind of excited to be there and be like, okay, here's a new character. I've already, I've always known this character because my first introduction to the X-Men was the nineties cartoon. And so I, she just got introduced to the book. Now I can get to know her some. And that's when, you know, the timing happened. I, I hadn't read it in a while anyways. And then I had the opportunity where I needed the, the money to buy a computer for school and pulled the trigger. Yep. But it's it's cool to know that it's there and it's something I can go back to and that it's so easy to have access to it nowadays compared to not long ago. Yeah, I like that it's all just so accessible. It makes it ha- there. There's a lot less pressure to the reading, or it doesn't feel as like oh, I really need to do this now. I feel like I can just get to it whenever I want to. Like I took a about almost a year long break from X Men, and now I'm getting back to again, and that's just it's really easy because it's all just sitting there online waiting for me whenever I want it, and that's that's pretty nice. I do like that. We are in a spoiled age of comic book accessibility, 
Yeah. <laughs> it really is funny how, how different things are. And like I was never, you know, big into comics. I was very little into comics actually when I was younger. But I still look back with fondness my first little experience collecting comics when it was because I got into Kevin Smith actually and he it was right when he was starting to write Green Arrow with Phil Hester doing the art and I started collecting that series from the beginning. And it's funny to me to look back at that. It's like I actually collected a series from the beginning and enjoyed it. Then I started collecting as Daredevil and going into the comic shop every, you know, week or two or whatever to get new issues. And I wasn't getting very much back then. This was like right after I was out of high school. And watching, keeping my eyes out for the back issues of Daredevil that I was missing. And not just having that free access to it. Like either digital reading, which, you know, that didn't exist back then. But also, you can't, you couldn't go on eBay and buy something. That wasn't a thing. That, I mean, eBay was like starting to happen, but even then, like you, now you can go on eBay and if you're looking for a specific comic, you probably find it on there, even if it's a bad price. Yeah. And, you know, back then, it's like, I, I hadn't used eBay yet, but memories of my first experience, like it was very, you know, very, very different than now where there's just so much available on there. But yeah, it was like, it was a special feeling. And like, I still can think about that, even though it wasn't a very long period of my life that I was doing that. Uh, and I actually, like, I did it for a while and then I stopped and I sold my comics. So I was like, yeah, I don't know if this is for me. Um, but like, I still can look back at that and remember it fondly. Yeah. I remember looking back at even when I was a kid, back when I was reading X-Men when I was 11, 12, 13 years old, I only had three or four back issues Mm-hmm. I think because I didn't have a lot of money to buy a ton of X-Men and X-Men, you know, back then it had that really cool thing where it would have the little asterisk when they mentioned something that happened in the past and uh-huh. say as seen in X-Men 150 or seen in X-Men 267 or, well, you know, whatever. So it made me want to read all this stuff and, and find out more about it. And, but I, I could only buy like a few random back issues. I think I bought the issue where Rogue joined the X-Men. I bought the first appearance of Jubilee, I think. I bought some random Dazzler issue that Jim Lee drew that was really cool. And uh, that was kind of it. I, I think I had the first appearance of Gambit. I bought that back issue. And... So I just had this like little smattering of back issues and it'd be, I have one issue, then I don't have anything for 30 or 40 issues. Then I have another back issue and then nothing for (laughs) two dozen issues and then another one. So when I was a a kid, it, it was super piecemeal what I had. And that was really, really interesting. It wasn't until those black and white essential collections started coming out where that I could really get a lot of back issues for really cheap. And that's when I actually was able to go back and read X-Men from the beginning for the first time. And that was, yeah. that was pretty cool. That's actually what got me into X-Men was those mm-hmm. finding them for like five bucks used at a comic shop. That plus when I started going to comic book conventions, it was still really easy to find x-men books in dollar bins they -hmm. were just everywhere so i got pretty much my entire collection of of from issue 150 up for a buck each which is 
kind of unheard of now yeah to find those books in dollar bins and the you know 20 years ago they they were just lined with dollar bins because there were so many of them that it was like no big deal just throw it in the dollar bin it's just x-men mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it was such a glorious time yeah I wish I had bought so much more stuff and I wish I'd kept so much of the stuff I got <laughs> that I got back then. I know all that the X-Men has gotten so expensive now. Yeah. And even just, it was the glory days of collecting Valiant comics. Yeah. Well, those are and, probably cheaper now. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Like Harbinger number one. Oh, I mean, there are a few books that stand out with Valiant, but it's like, it's funny because for the like VH1 it is over 600 books. Yeah. And there's, literally a handful like probably less than five books that have significant value out of all of those yeah most of them i got for less than a dollar and probably less than 50 cents yeah. i remember buying long boxes of valiant books for ten dollars stuff like that yeah but those those early 2000s it was the glory days where you could find gold books for a dollar or two i found harbinger number one for a dollar a couple times rise zero was routinely in the dollar bin yeah that's awesome <laughs> it was great yeah so last last little uh thought i had before we wrap up because i know we're getting to that time so we, we've talked about this before streaming services uh you, you know it's easy to compile them but it's also like it's kind of better to be like yeah we don't need too many streaming services because you can only use so much at a time and then you're spending money on stuff you're not using so I realized the other day it's kind of funny because I'm starting to compile streaming services more than I would before. Like we got, I paid for um, a year of Disney Plus because I got like some offer. So I got Disney Plus and then because we have that, it's like I have Hulu, I have ESPN Plus. And then we have Prime, which that's not going anywhere because, you know, more so for using the Prime shipping benefits rather than the, the streaming, even though we do mm -hmm. use the streaming some. And uh, we got paramount plus because when they were launching that like i signed up for a year of paramount plus for like 30 bucks i was like that's cheap enough whatever like we'll just give it a shot and see how it works out i have access to peacock because of my cousin share that with with him you've got more than i do i think yeah it's like and a lot of them are kind of like little like afterthought things like paramount plus like i hardly use it but every once in a while we do like my wife was using it to watch star trek stuff she really likes star trek um, you know, Picard is on there when they come out with the next season or whatever. So stuff like that. It's like they, they have little values to them sometimes, but it's just kind of funny because they're stacking up on us some now. But another one came around as having an offer. I got an email for an offer for half off HBO Max for oh, six cool. months. That's a so good for, one. Yeah, for seven fifty a month for, you know, six months I get this deal. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm finally going to give this a shot because 750 is just cheap. And I know I know there's stuff on there that I want to watch from hearing people talk about it. So I've watched one thing in total so far and kind of just poked around a little bit. But I'm impressed with a lot of the content that's on there. I watched the, um, the Woodstock 99 documentary, hmm. which is really interesting to me uh, because I remember when that was a thing. All the music that was in that, like that was the brief little window when that was the music that I liked. And looking back, I realized that that actually was a very brief window in my life that I went from like, oh, Corn and Biscuit's really good to, oh, they've already gotten old and it's only their, you know, their third album that uh, that's come out, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, watching the documentary was really interesting. I actually had the Woodstock soundtrack on CD when I was in high school. So that was super interesting. I enjoyed watching that. But then looking through the stuff that they have, like it's cool because they have a lot of Star Trek stuff. They have Doctor Who stuff. Like my wife, I have watched most of Doctor Who with my wife, but I haven't watched like the last probably couple few seasons. I forget exactly where we left off. Star Trek and Doctor Who, she likes more than I do. So it's more like she watches them and I'll kind of, you know, peripherally pop in here and there and watch episodes with her sometimes. Um, they have all the Studio Ghibli movies. So like we own a bunch of them. We've watched a bunch of them. But now we can watch a lot of the kind of fringe ones, you know, the, or the, you know, whatever. The, Howl's Moving Castle. Well, no, that's a great one. Um, but there are ones that we don't want to spend like 20 bucks on a DVD to watch, you know, this random kind of weird looking, like Porco Rosso or something like okay, that. Okay, sure. You know? Yeah, that's that's the one I was <laughs> going to say next. Yeah. And there's a few others that like that. They're like, well, it's a Studio Ghibli movie, but it also it doesn't look nearly as good as like Howl's Moving Castle or Spirited Away or ones like that, you know? So it's like Kiki's now we can delivery watch delivery service. We have that one on DVD, too. Which or, is surprisingly good. Yeah. yeah. A lot of them are really good. And yeah. So anyway, so now we can watch all the kind of fringe ones, you know? But they also have a lot of Criterion movies on there. So, like, there's a Criterion collection streaming service that I've been tempted to get because Criterion movies are very expensive to buy. They have a sell twice a year at Barnes Noble. So, usually, one sells the month of my birthday. The other sell is, like, the month before Christmas. So, usually, like, each sell I'll get something for myself as, like, a birthday present or a Christmas present for myself. And mostly I get samurai movies because... I know that I'll want to keep them, you know, but then there are other movies I want to watch just to watch, but it's like 20 bucks just to watch a movie. And I don't know if I'll like it or not is kind of hard, right? Some of these movies aren't even available on the Criterion channel streaming service, but some of them are on HBO max. Like there's one that, uh, Josh Dysart actually recommended to me. Um, I think it's called broadcast news. If I'm remembering correctly off the top of my head, and that's on HBO Max. So I'm like, oh, cool. So I can watch some of these Criterion movies. And it's actually less to do this than it is to get the Criterion channel anyways. So anyways, I, I've opened this whole Pandora's box of things to watch that like I haven't had any access to. I think it's funny, too, because I, I tweeted about it and asked for recommendations and how many people just recommend the, the same things. Which, I mean, that's to be expected if they're the most popular things. But... You know, so many of the things are like, you know, watch the Snyder Cut. I'm like, no, not going to do that. Uh, but my interest falls in all the, like, the lesser things, the not not the most popular things. Like, I'm less interested in watching Suicide Squad after you and I talked about it than I am in just picking a random old movie to watch. Okay, cool. And that's that. So what should I watch? <laughs> Doom Patrol. <laughs> yeah, that one, that one actually piques my interest some. I might try that. It takes a few episodes to really get into it, but I really got into it, and I like it a lot. It is, obviously, it's based off of superheroes. It's yeah. Doom Patrol is a quote-unquote superhero property, but it's about as un-superhero-like as you can get with superheroes. Mm -hmm. It's very just, it's, it's mainly more about, like, super-powered individuals that, are damaged in some way and they're all kind of get together and weird things happen around them that they're forced into that they want no part of but have to deal with anyway that's maybe a, a good 
a top level view of of the nature of the superheroics. Nice. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, with that, let's wrap it up. Podcast is over. No more episodes. Okay. Bye. <laughs> yes. Uh, we're we're almost to the halfway point, right? Yeah. If all of this is building to the 99th episode, then we're almost halfway there. And yeah, eventually people are going to get to the 99th episode and be like, I don't know if this is going to end happy or not. <laughs> we'll find out, huh? <laughs> it's, it's a nail biter. Well, thanks for tuning in for another 99th episode. You know where to find the rest. Find us on Twitter. I'm Bad Deacon. He's Who's Paul. And that's about it. That is it. That is it.